This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, our top news story of the day, as you know, are the wildfires in Nova Scotia and uh, the affected area, Tintallon and uh, Hammonds Plains. Well, goodness, I know people in that area, and I'm sure an awful lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have family and friends in that general area as well and are thinking about them. There have been no reports of loss of life, but wildfire raging through Nova Scotia has displaced some 16,000 people. Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston provided an update on the fires just a short while ago. Like many of you that are listening today, I've, I've, I've seen the images, uh, I've seen the, the videos, and I've seen the, the reality of what's happening, um, the damage that's being caused. And it's, uh, it's very scary. It's very scary for sure. But I want you to know that we are doing everything possible um, as a province, as a municipality, as a country, um, to, to fight these fires and to keep people safe. Every resource at our collective disposal is being deployed to fight these fires. So, so please know um, that everyone you will hear from today and everyone who is actively engaged in fighting these fires is completely dedicated uh, to working as quickly as possible, as humanly possible, uh, to get those that have been displaced from their homes back to their homes and to get these fires uh, extinguished. So um, certainly uh, the, the heaviest impacts we're seeing right now are um, in, the, in the Shelburne County area. It's a massive fire in, Calber- in Shelburne County and, and of course in the Tantallon um, area as well. I'm personally hearing from people that I know uh, who have lost their homes, and I know many Nova Scotians will be also hearing from people that they personally know who have lost uh, a property in, the, in, the, in these fires. Um, so we're in constant contact with the fire crews uh, and the natural resources teams, um, and they're, they're working hard out there. They're giving it their all to, to knock back these fires. And the safety of these workers is, is a top priority, and I want to thank everyone who is working so hard and doing the best that they can uh, to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. Um, although, um, with the weather we're having, uh, the weather is not cooperating right now. Uh, we're going to need some help uh, from the weather, um, and it will take it will take time for sure. Um, but to help speed up the efforts um, of, of fighting these fires, uh, we have help here in the form of uh, water uh, bombers. Uh, right now, water bombers on site from from Newfoundland. Uh, we've had some help from New Brunswick as well. Uh, I want to thank uh, Premiers uh, Fury and Higgs for their for their support. And uh, I know there's more help coming uh, from PEI as well. Uh, so thank you to, to Premier King and, and other um, um, premiers in other areas of the country and the federal government are stepping up as well. We will take and use whatever resources we can uh, possibly uh, can possibly made available. We, we need them here. Um, there are currently comfort centers uh, open in affected areas. There are comfort centers in HRM and there is at least one comfort center in Shelburne County uh, for the exact locations and the and the uh, operating hours uh, for those um, for those comfort centers please check uh, novascotia.ca backslash alerts novascotia.ca backslash alerts for the most up-to-date information um, now I want to speak directly to those who um, have been impacted by this fire uh, we um, can only imagine the the fear that you're that you're feeling the 
uncertainty you're feeling uh, about when you will be able to return to your home what you may be returning to um, and uh, we know that uh, that uh, the fear must be just completely unimaginable so um, but know that um, you know the, the blue noser spirit is alive and well in this province and your your friends and neighbors are, will be there to support you in every way that they can um, so I, I know that um, there's in, in also confusion about where you'll stay um, you don't have access to your kitchen and your, your, your provisions and your food. Um, I know all that is just adding another layer of um, concern and fear. So I want to tell you that today, um, um, as, a, as, as a province, as a first step to try to ease um, some of the financial stress in some small way that you're feeling, um, the province is announcing that there will be um, immediate support available for those uh, households in evacuated areas of up to $500. Uh, we're going to work with the um, with the Red Cross to make those that funding available to you as soon as as soon as possible. Um, I'm truly sorry as your premier for what you're going through. Uh, your, your province is truly sorry for what you're going for going through. And um, we, we will be uh, we will be there to support you in any way we possibly can as a province. Um, we also know that those who are operating um, Comfort centers are under pressure and stress to do what they can to support um, to support their, the people who are using those comfort centers. So we'll look for ways to support those uh, right in the comfort centers as well. And finally, for our for our first responders, our, our um, volunteer firefighters who are you know uh, coming from across the province to help. Um, we we know that um, the, the pressure you're feeling as well in so many ways, but yet you're stepping up yet again uh, to help our communities. So so the province will will put forward some programs that will um, try to um, provide some financial support to our volunteer firefighters who are traveling across the province to help another area. We'll look for ways. To to support those um, those volunteer firefighters with with mileage, and also the, the departments themselves, who are you know push, pushing gear out around the province. That's not without a cost as well. So as a province, we'll, we'll be there for those volunteer fire uh, departments and volunteer firefighters who are, who are stepping up. So there you go, Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston just a short while ago providing that update on the wildfires in Nova Scotia. Water bombers, of course, deployed from Newfoundland and Labrador and New Brunswick, and you could even hear the sirens in the background as he was speaking to reporters in Nova Scotia today. Well, Hurricane Fiona and the wildfires in Nova Scotia among the topics being discussed during the first day of the Canadian Meteorological and Oceanographic Society Congress in St. John's this week. When we come back we'll speak with um, head meteorologist with the Canadian Hurricane Centre Chris Fogarty. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM it's Open Line with your host Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9am to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. Well Hurricane Fiona and the wildfires that are affecting Nova Scotia right now are among the topics being discussed on this the first day of the Canadian Meteorological and Oceanographic Society Congress in St. St. John's this week. Chris Fogarty, head meteorologist with the Canadian Hurricane Centre in Halifax, is among the keynote speakers. He joins me now. Well, Chris Fogarty, welcome back to St. John's. Thank you. So what's on tap for you then? What are you talking about? I'll be opening up uh, the conference with a a plenary talk on uh, Hurricane Fiona, which was the big storm last year. And uh, I'll be talking most specifically about uh, the Hurricane Centre's forecasting of that event what uh, sort of 
uh, terms we were using in the forecast and uh, and uh, with particular attention to how it impacted Newfoundland, of course, Port of Basque area in particular. Now, we're not strangers to uh, hurricanes in this neck of the woods, but uh, they tend to be either rain events or wind events. In this particular case, it was storm, so- storm surge, the likes of which uh, we haven't seen here before. Uh, tell us a little bit about what made this storm so different. Uh, Hurricane Fiona it expanded into a very large uh, storm that had both characters of a hurricane and uh, you know, a wintertime nor'easter type storm. So you had these two weather systems in one. So that's really what made it, it bad. And it had such high winds with it. The seas grew into these enormous waves. And Port of Basque through to Bergeau down along that part of the province was in the epicenter of the largest waves in the storm. It was just, you know, a bad place to be with respect to the track of it. Do we have a good handle now on exactly the size of the waves that uh, struck the area at the time? Yeah, pretty good uh, observations offshore. We had one particular buoy that uh, measured some of these waves uh, in the order of, uh, I think it was up to 25 meters, you know, 80 feet uh, measured at this buoy offshore. And when those reached Port of Basque area, they broke at an immense height, of course, uh, at least around that, and they overtopped the natural breakwater island that was just uh, south of the town. Uh, waves had broken over that particular feature before, but not in the to the extent that they did during Fiona. Right, because uh, as the, the waves approach land, they build, they actually get higher, so the buoy would have been recording it before that, that real buildup. That's right. Well, we got measured, uh, you know, about 100 kilometers to the south from the buoy, gave us, uh, we can sort of reverse engineer the the wave uh, life cycle as it approached Port of Bath. There were, there were probably a set of four or five really huge waves that uh, moved in, uh, breaking probably, yeah, even higher than what the buoy uh, was recording. So the Canadian Hurricane Centre, of course, last week uh, put out its uh, hurricane forecast for the year. Uh, What can we expect this year? Well, from the Atlantic Ocean Basin as a whole, which covers Caribbean, North Atlantic Ocean, very large area, uh, we are likely to see a year that's not overly hyperactive uh, because of El Nino conditions going on in the Pacific Ocean. That tends to create wind patterns in the Atlantic Ocean that suppress uh, storm hurricane formation. So that's some good news in the general picture. But in any given year, all it takes, you know, it could be one strong. Every year there's usually at least one Category 3 somewhere. And if it just happens to make its way north, then we have we could have to contend with it. So... This, our preparedness level should certainly not be any different than any other year, but uh, statistically, the way the weather patterns are shaping up, hoping that this year overall will be a little uh, quieter. So what are some of those uh, factors? Because it seems that uh, prior to Hurricane Fiona, we hadn't been seeing a lot of uh, big uh, storms heading our way in the last couple of years. Larry comes to mind, but uh, aside from that, it seems to have been relatively quiet recently. 
Yes, it was. Last year was a real head-scratcher for you know, the long-range forecasters because the hurricane season was eerily quiet during July, August, uh, until into September. And then, of course, the latter part of September, we had the, the atmosphere had built up this instability, which needed to be released by uh, something. And along came Fiona and Hurricane Ian, which devastated Florida. So if you have these long periods of with no storms, no hurricanes, that's always a little uneasy state to be in because the atmosphere is probably building up energy that needs to get released. So we'll be watching that sort of pattern. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. It begs the question. So what, you know, if, if we're going to have a, a relatively quiet um, hurricane season this year, what does that mean in the long run? Often what we see are if it's a quiet summer for in terms of thunderstorms and hurricanes, you'll often have a, a winter cold season that follows, which can be uh, more energetic, more storm formation. So if we get off with an easy summer, quiet, quiet fall, little tropical storms, we wanna we will then be looking probably at a more active winter. That's kinda how things work in the atmosphere. If it's it can't be quiet for any length of time and if it is, you know, something's building usually is the way it goes. Is that what happened with Snowmageddon? Yeah, when I try to think back to that was early I think was that just before the pandemic, I believe? Just before, 20... just before, yeah, 2020, yeah. yeah. So I can't, my memory is still shady uh, when it comes back to what was it like uh, the winter before uh, Snowmageddon. Uh, you may recall better than I did if it was like really quiet, not a whole lot of snow, and then we had that big storm that year that that would sort of fit that theory where the atmosphere sort of builds up and then you get this big release. So what's it like now gathering with uh, your peers on this kind of a level? It's great, uh, especially after the pandemic with a year or three years with basically only screen time interaction, video conferencing, which was, you know, effective substitute, but, you know, that in-person interaction there's a lot that you, you can't even replicate just on screen even seeing each other by video the, you know the organic conversations that come up you know between you know during coffee breaks between the science sessions you don't get that in the virtual sense so that's one of the big pluses is it tough being here knowing what's happening back uh, in nova scotia Somewhat, yeah. Now, these days we have access to all the tools and, and data on, on our computers, on our phones. So I've been able to keep pretty close eye on what's going on over there in my hometown around Halifax. So it's good that way. But, uh, yeah, none of my family is impacted by the fires. But we do know people that are in the fire area that are impacted. So, yeah, it's a, no doubt it's, a, it's distracting a lot of you. Yeah, no, indeed it is. Well, Chris Fogarty, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, All the best to you now during the conference, and uh, hopefully the situation in Nova Scotia, uh, firefighters get on the the winning hand of this uh, pretty soon. Thanks so much. Yes, indeed. No problem, Linda. So Chris Fogarty is head meteorologist with the Canadian Hurricane Centre in Halifax, and we're going to see a quieter type of hurricane year. Claudette, thankfully, um, thanks to El Nino, but he says usually what happens there is that you tend to see this the warmer buildup of pressure the, in the system. At some point, it's going to go 
Great. So there really isn't a silver lining? Is that what you're trying to tell us, Linda? <laughs> well, that's my elementary understanding <laughs> of it. Uh, I'm not a meteorologist. I just play one on the radio. Uh, but uh, seriously, though, um, it is interesting. And he does make reference. And uh, uh, some of his colleagues at this uh, Congress in St. John's this week have been making reference to, you know, the frequency of some of these extreme weather events. type weather mm-hmm. events and we're seeing more and more of them all the time and they're hitting and i mean let's be clear we've always had these types of events in the past it seems like more but we're getting them much more frequently yeah yep. much more frequently and they're affecting larger populations and uh, that sort of thing you know we've seen floods and fires and storms and storm surges and when was the last time i mean prior to last year for instance when was the last time you heard this term uh, uh atmospheric river Oh, right. You know, we're hearing terminology now that we've never heard before. Or never paid, really needed to pay attention because it was rare, yeah. It was rare. It was so rare. So now we've seen a couple of atmospheric rivers. We saw one here in Newfoundland and Labrador just prior to um, the devastation that uh, Fiona brought, of course. The whole Port of Basque, Lewis Hills, that southwest coast of Newfoundland saw an atmospheric river where they saw torrential rain for, what was it, two, three, four days? I can't remember. Now it was, you know extraordinary and they brought out their emergency uh, response you know plans and all of that sort of thing Um, and then we saw the one in California recently the atmospheric river and that you know follows a drought so what happens when an atmospheric river flows through with torrents of water and buckets of water and dried out land all washes away it's so extreme you know the fact that the extremes are becoming the norm yeah it, it is kind of scary when you put it that way uh, well it's pause for thought isn't it and mm-hmm. i mean it, it's affecting us all in one way or another what we can do to fix it and solve it well you know minds greater than my own have been working towards those kinds of things and we've seen to less to differing extents you know different governments and different municipalities and different groups and organizations trying to navigate this but obviously something has to be done I'm uh, I know it's a little bit off topic but not really because you were talking about the wildfires in Halifax and I'm gravitating toward a Facebook page that I just came across and it's called the HRM Tentalen Wildfire Lost Pets there's over, I think, 7,000 people on it. There's a lady, I just want to say, say that she seems to be an angel, uh, Amy Lou, and she's going into people's houses and getting the animals and asking on this group, okay, I don't have your passcode to get into your house. What is it to save the animals? I, I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but that's where my mind is wow. now when you mention the wildfires and the extreme weather, that kind of thing. And that just gives a, a, um, an illustration of just how quickly these wildfires are moving. I mm-hmm. mean, they weren't an issue, and now all of a sudden they're an issue, and they're moving fast, and they're destroying homes. And when you are forced to make those decisions... There's hundreds of pets being. <laughs> and you might be at work when this is coming through exactly. your neighborhood. Exactly. And you have no choice. Some animals have, like, escaped during the car, like, during the escape route, that kind of thing. I, I'm astonished at how many people are jumping on board this site, and they are reuniting the animals. And people are jumping in and saying, hi, I live here. I can take so-and-so if you wish. And it's a, just a sense of community I'm getting from this group. And, you know, we were talking about extreme weather events, but it's just so lovely to see a bunch of strangers coming together just to help 
in need. Well, that's the side that's uplifting. Yes. You know. Yeah. You, uh, you, it's unfortunate that people are in the positions that they're in. Faith in humanity now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's what you got to hang on to. Yeah, in the end, we're all pretty good. Uh, well, you know, it's so easy to concentrate and to hear the negative. But when I keep looking, I'm gravitating toward that side. I'm like, my gosh, there's a lot of really great people out there do it, helping others just for the sake. I've also noticed on the flip side, too, that there are a few people on social media saying, I feel so helpless. I wish I could help them. I'm, I'm feeling anxious and I have nothing to do with this. It's so strange how this is snowballing. For certain. Well, um, thanks for that, uh, Claudette. Well, coming up, chat GPT. What is generative AI and what are the privacy and, in a much larger sense, democratic concerns that it raises? We'll speak with Newfoundland and Labrador Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. This is News Talk on VOCM. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back and uh, right off the top we got that update from the uh, premier of Nova Scotia on the fires in Nova Scotia well Albert is on the line hello Albert yes Linda I understand that uh, you know a thing or two about uh, the fires yes my daughter lives in that area and uh, she lost her home this morning her and her four kids and her oh husband oh my goodness gracious they had, the, had to leave with the clothes on her back actually <laughs> So where are they living? Just outside of Halifax. Yeah, I forget that name now, but... Uh, and uh, have you been talking to her? No, not yet. Uh, my, my, uh, on Facebook and that way. So but, what is she uh, doing? Where did she go? I'm not quite sure. She, she, uh, she never said, but... Uh, it only happened there a while ago, right? I, I, I'll hear later on today, and you know, I expect. But uh, it sort of brings things home, you know. Uh, she had a beautiful home, four kids, and uh, they had to run for their lives, basically. Have they been living there long? Oh yeah, she was. Uh, she was raised in the area, right? And have you visited the area? Are you familiar with her home there? No, I'm not familiar with her whole home lately. I haven't been, I haven't been there now in ten years, but uh, she moved around. But uh, but uh, all I know is now she lost her house, and that was it. So what's that like for you now, a dad, knowing that your daughter and your grandchildren are? Well, you just gotta hope for the best, I guess. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll uh, she'll find a place to live in that. I don't know how that works, but. Uh, I guess something will kick in to give her, give her a hand, right? Well, they're already offering a, um, some assistance to people who have had to leave their homes. No doubt, uh, you know, in the long run, there'll be something more for them. But um, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in your home one minute and having to leave the next just and never seeing it again. Yeah, the fire is, she was on this street. Was, uh, she, she was on Facebook and... Uh, the house up the street uh, caught fire, and the next one, next one, next one, until I finally got to her, and she had to run. <laughs> wow. Uh, and and how are you doing, knowing all of this? Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm fine, you know. I'm not fine, but uh, I'm, I'm glad they're, they're okay, right? For sure. You can replace, you can replace the house, but, uh, you know, they're all safe and that, so uh, I'm sure they'll be fine. And the grandkids, are they very old? 
Yeah, four boys. They're all uh, the twin boys, and uh, they're all with it with an honor ten years old. Oh my goodness so, gracious! Uh, yeah. And now they have to find somewhere to stay. Yeah. Well, and, uh, sorry, you go ahead. No, that's fine. That's fine. I just want to let, let people, uh, you know, people know that there's a a Newfoundland connection. I heard uh, the bombers are up there now. The Newfoundland uh, uh, water bombers are up there, you know, so they're helping out. So uh, they're, they're doing a good job, I suspect. Much needed too. Um, well, Albert, yeah. we we wish you you and your family all the best. And uh, yeah. uh, if you have any updates on how your daughter is doing, uh, feel free to give us a call. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, so there you have it. Um, uh, Albert in CBS, his daughter, has uh, lost her home. She, her husband, and her four boys had to uh, uh, take off and uh, leave their home behind. It has now been destroyed by fire. Just absolutely shocking. Um, switching gears now for a moment, um, privacy commissioners in Ottawa, Alberta, BC, and Quebec, all investigating OpenAI. That's the company behind the artificial intelligence-powered chatbot ChatGPT. You've heard a, a lot about it, no doubt. They want to see if the parent firm obtained valid consent from Canadians to collect, use, and disclose their personal information via its chatbot. Federal Privacy Commissioner Philippe Dufresne has said artificial intelligence and its effects on privacy are a top priority for his office. Well, Newfoundland and Labrador Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Michael Harvey. Good afternoon, Linda. So, uh, I know that there are a number of privacy commissioners who are having a look at OpenAI. That's the company behind the artificial inten- uh, intelligence chatbot, ChatGPT, um, Ottawa, Alberta, BC, and others, looking at that to see if uh, the parent firm obtained valid consent from Canadians to collect, use, and disclose their personal information via the chatbot. First of all, I suppose. Tell us what exactly this is and what the concerns might be. Sure. Maybe I should first explain, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, but just for your listeners, I should probably explain why I'm not investigating as well. Why would you have some provinces investigating it and not uh, and not this one or some others? So in Canada, uh, private sector privacy oversight is mainly held by the federal government, and uh, and so my my colleague at the federal level, uh, Commissioner Philippe Dufresne, is uh, has authorities under an act called PIPEDA to uh, regulate uh, a private sector uh, privacy, uh, so companies that, that do privacy work. Uh, in some provinces, their, their governments have decided that they want to, instead, they want to be the ones uh, to do that, and so have passed provincial laws to do it. And uh, this is the case for British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec. In this country, in this province, and in, in most others, uh, that private sector responsibility is left with the federal government. I mean, we could, uh, the provincial government could potentially, that's what we call it, chase that jurisdiction if they wanted to. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, from my perspective, uh, when we're talking about trying to regulate large companies like your Facebooks uh, of the world and so on, it, it makes a, a certain amount of sense for um, uh, for the federal uh, privacy uh, regulator and the federal, and for that to be a matter of federal legislation. So, um, so that's why my jurisdiction 
my oversight jurisdiction is uh, is limited to the public sector and the health sector under those uh, under those laws. And that said, um, you know we certainly are looking on with this matter with interest, but we're not a part of this investigation. And so so nothing I'll say here is really, uh, and I do need to, to be careful that I don't say anything that could like make their, complicate their ongoing investigation. But then again, I, I even though I've talked to uh, um, a number of, of those commissioners about it, I don't have any internal insight about the ongoing nature of their investigation. That, of course, would be inappropriate. Um, but that said, to answer your question, what is ChatGPT and uh, and what is the basic concern? Well, ChatGPT is what we call generative AI, and, and that means uh, that uh, that if you you can can log on to their website, and now they have a phone app, and you can ask it a, a question, and it, what it will do is it will kind of fake an answer for you. Uh, its uh, its engine has been trained to go out and basically read the internet and and it will give you answers to questions that sound like they're the right answers so what what it what it does is it it keeps it uses kind of a brute force to do this it, like i said it reads the internet and then it will uh it will keep pumping out answers to questions and then it will evaluate its own answers and it will do that over and over and over again thousands and thousands and thousands and even millions of times until it produces an answer that it scores itself as looking like a really good answer to the question after it's like i said you know read the internet there there's also a similar uh, generative ai uh, applications that do the same thing uh, by looking at pictures so you can get you and some people may have seen this uh, online this ai generated art and so what it'll do is you'll ask it you know produce me a uh, piece of art that looks you know in the style of and of this topic and and it will go out and it will look at images that it finds online and it will will produce images and it will keep examining those images and kind of score how close it is to the real ones until it comes up with something that it scores as being a high uh, you know highly uh, highly connected or you know highly related to the real thing so so this is kind of um, this is a specific type uh, of artificial intelligence that's being used and uh, so let's let's say for example you asked it, can you, uh, ChatGPT, can you provide me a bibliography of academic papers on uh, on artificial intelligence? And it would go off and it would produce you something that looks like a bibliography. And it would, you know, it would cite journal articles and it would give you titles and it would give you volume numbers and page numbers, the whole thing. And a, 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 uh, but they would all be fake. They, it, would, it would just kind of make it up. Uh, it, it picks up facts and stuff as it reads the internet. It picks up specific facts. But if you ask it to make up stuff, then it, it kind of makes up. Uh, uh, you know, it, it produce. It keeps. Um, you know, producing things that look like the real thing. So where it's useful is if you you ask, you know, ChatGPT, can you write me a poem or a song, you know, in the style of Johnny Cash about, um, you know, about the weather, and it can produce you a song that looks like it might have been written by Johnny Cash about the weather. Of course, totally fake, but that's what it it does. So that's the specific type of thing that it does. Now, it that kind of generative AI has interesting applications, you know, because it could be used for a variety of different things. Like, uh, like for example, you could use it 
to um, uh, to fo- function as a chatbot for, let's say, customer service type of things. Um, but uh, it's not sometimes what you would think of. Like, there's many different types of uh, of uh, AI. So if you're you're expecting it to do analysis or do actual research, that's not not quite what the application is. So. So I guess the next question is, well, what's the privacy issue here? Well, the privacy issue primarily is that it has gone out and it has read the Internet. It has uh, it, to, to provide an application that is able to do this, it needs to uh, scrape off of the Internet and use a lot of information. And so the question is, is the way that it's gathering and using that information, um, uh, is that consistent with our privacy laws? Um, because that's a lot of you know red meat that has to be thrown at that machine to be able to get it to do what it does, and so uh, you know m- the way that companies collect and use information, and some of it is going to be personal information that needs to be compliant with our laws. So I, you know, presumably, you know, the only way to really know that if is by opening the hood and looking at uh, exactly what it's doing to gather that information and exactly what it's doing. And so that's what I expect my colleagues in those other jurisdictions are going to be doing. So that's uh, the privacy side of things. But but what about, uh, let's say, for instance, copyright law, uh, when you're talking about uh, creative work? Yeah. So there's all sorts of other aspects of AI and uh, that are outside of the privacy side of things. And, you know, strictly speaking, I don't really have the authority to comment on that kind of stuff um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I have authorities to talk about privacy and, and access to information. So, but that said, there are all manner of different implications for the use of these kind of applications that do need to be understood. Like ethical implications is, is uh, one of them. Uh, the other thing that I think, you know, uh, I think people might want to be most concerned about is the potential for disinformation. So it, it would be easy for you to use ChatGPT. If I was, you know, if I wanted to sow disinformation, and we, we certainly are aware that out in in this uh, increasingly politically polarized uh, a world of ours, uh, there are people who are interested in sowing disinformation about things. I mean, you could, and there's lots of examples already of people that have used generative AI to um, to create news stories that look like they're real but are not. Pictures of things that happened that have not happened. There was another – these kind of things are becoming more problematic. There was uh, a picture that was being circulated around the Internet the other day of an explosion at the Pentagon. Um, and, and when that um, – uh, when that picture hit the news, it caused an effect on the on the American stock markets. The explosion never happened, but was uh, but generative AI had been used to um, to make it seem like it did. So, in an era where uh, disinformation is an increasing part of uh, the political milieu, you know this is something to be concerned about because it's going to become harder and harder to tell truth from reality, and that is uh, a matter for. Our democracy. So, like I said, the big, the big. Even though my colleagues are investigating the privacy implications, and that's what their authority is to do, you know, there's lots of ethical questions about generative AI that need to be asked. But that's, I, I think, it's important. I think for your listeners to understand, from a Newfoundland Labrador perspective, uh, you know, where where our heads are at. 
about AI in the public sector and in the health sector, because we certainly, even though this is not chat GPT that we're, I'm talking about now, we certainly have made uh, submissions to the government on, uh, uh, on the need to advance our regulatory regime for AI in general. And so AI, uh, you know, generative AI is only one application, but the use of systems that learn, so machine systems that can learn and potentially be used to help make decisions in the public sector and in the health sector is is a reality. Uh, some of these have been used uh, in other jurisdictions as well to help uh, make certain types of decisions or uh, help inform um, public actors in some way or another. Newfoundland and Labrador Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey about uh, generative AI like ChatGPT and some of the concerns it raises from a privacy perspective. The topic, of course, so fascinating. We'll uh, continue the conversation coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Call now, 273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. News Talk with Linda Swain will be back in a moment. At Piper's, we're feeling the rising prices on gas and food just like everyone else. So we're trimming wasteful extras, like the letter P from this commercial, starting right now. We'll use the savings to keep prices low on staples like turnips, ground beef, potatoes, eggs, and four-pack rainbow peppers. Heck yeah, that's what cutting costs in real time sounds like. Simple perfection. Piper's, Newfoundland's Newfoundland store. Find our weekly flyer on Facebook or visit pipers.ca. Time for a VOCM Wellness Moment with Dr. Mike Wall, brought to you by Belltone. Schedule your free hearing screening today. So Dr. Mike, tell me about healthy eating and how our diets impact our overall health. I think that people underestimate the importance of nutrition. Eating a balanced, nutritious diet is essential for maintaining good health. It's like building a house out of strong building materials. If we think about those building materials as food, they would be a variety of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, lean proteins and healthy fats. And I know these can be more expensive, but frozen options like frozen fruit and frozen veggies still have lots of nutritional value. When we think of bad building materials, things like processed and high-fat foods and foods with a lot of added sugars aren't good for us. Now, we wouldn't build our house out of subpar building materials, so take the same approach with our bodies. Now, to learn more, tune in to The Wall Show each week, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 4 p.m. on your VOCM. Brought to you by Belltone. Schedule your free hearing screening today. What's a road trip without a full tank of gas? A free tank of gas at that. VOCM fuels your summer. Text your VOCM pictures of your summer fun to 709-273-5211 for a chance to win. And every Friday afternoon, tune in to see if you've won one of the weekly $200 North Atlantic gas cards with a grand prize of a $1,000 gas card. Brought to you by North Atlantic and Orange Store. Every great road trip begins and ends here. And Pipers. Why pay supermarket prices? Save more at Pipers. News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM Radio Network. And we're back. Uh, before the break, of course, we were speaking with Provincial Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey about some of the privacy concerns raised by generative AI, like ChatGPT. And while he's not conducting an investigation like his colleagues in Ottawa, Alberta, BC, and Quebec, he is watching the situation closely. Can we ever keep up, though, legislatively when it comes to these, you know, fast-moving changes? Well, our legislation generally is meant to be principles-based, 
and and so uh, it, it will use general terms like reasonable standards and so on. And then when it comes time to apply oversight, then you need to look at the the the, the specific fact context in each individual circumstance. You look at what else is going on in other jurisdictions, and uh, you know in the state of regulatory development here and elsewhere. You know, so to expect the, you know, to say that oh, the law can never keep up with the fluid, the fluid evolving context is is almost, you know, the law is not really supposed to keep up per se, but rather to establish some certain basic principles, and that's why we the basic principles in our privacy law. There's ten of them that we often point to, and and they're enduring. But AI is a little different, and and AI needs to be uh, even our enduring laws. I think that there are some gaps that need to be addressed for AI, and there's two of them that I would point out specifically. The one is that is one that well, you just pointed to yourself. Like while there are privacy considerations with AI, maybe some of the bigger ones are actually ethical. So in our submissions to ongoing legislative reviews of uh, both our public sector le- uh, legislation and our health sector legislation, we said, listen, we we would like you to um, uh, all we've asked is really if any any public sector organization or any health sector organization is planning to do AI, then they need to just let us know that they're doing it and do something called an algorithmic assessment and consult us on it. That's all that we've asked for at the beginning because uh, at this point, we just want to be able to take stock. Um, but we've also asked the, – the second thing we've asked for is said, well, we want to have the authority to not just comment on the privacy parts but also on the ethical dimensions as well uh, because if we were to just comment on the privacy parts and we'd see major ethical red flags – I think I'd feel uncomfortable saying, yeah, yeah, this uh, this AI application seems okay when I know that it's not okay, right, that there there may be some major ethical issues I want to flag. So I want to be able to have the authority to flag those two. Now, listen, I'd have to, and my office would have to, we'd have to, to step up to the plate here. We'd have to train up and uh, to, to make sure that we could meet that requirement. But but we think that, that we need we need to at least take that one step forward, to at least take stock of of whether AI applications are being used uh, in our public sector or in our health sector. Because, you know, we've been talking about ChatGPT. It's getting a lot of attention. But there's all sorts of different types of AI type of machine learning applications. And they can be really big or small. They can be big databases. Um, but they can also be little things. Like, you know, we know that we're surrounded with the, the Internet of Things. You know, there could be AI inside of the wireless headphones that I have. So you could have AI being used uh, as part of a, you know, a, um, some sort of video surveillance program that's being initiated as part of law enforcement. You could have AI that's being used to help manage a wait list within Eastern Health or within the new Provincial Health Authority. Either way, what we're asking is just let us know and do what we call an algorithmic assessment and consult us on it. Well, Michael, I really appreciate your time on this. It's a fascinating topic. I mean, you, you could speak about it endlessly. And if, you know, you've got a, a chat bot that's scraping the Internet for information and there's more and more misinformation, well, that leads to a whole pile of other questions about how it generates and where it generates and what ends up 
getting <laughs> to the top, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the other specific thing about artificial intelligence that makes it different than most other, um, most other technological applications. So one of the main privacy principles that we talk about that informs our law here and informs law you know, really uh, across much of the rest of the world when it comes to privacy legislation is the idea of minimum use, that that uh, public bodies, healthcare custodians, companies, they should only be collecting information, the minimum amount of information that they need to do whatever legitimate thing that it's doing that they're, they're doing. The thing about artificial intelligence as a technology is it's very hungry for data. It needs data to learn. So it needs a lot of that red meat. And so if we're going to accept that AI is going to be a part of our future, and I think, you know, I'm not here to say AI is bad. Uh, that's, you know, I'm neutral about that that topic, but you know it's not going anywhere. Let's not kid ourselves. AI is going to be, in some sense, part of our future. Then uh, we need to make sure that our laws can at least accommodate that aspect of it, and recognize that aspect of it, and figure out how to how to do it safely. Michael Harvey, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Linda. Take care. And Michael Harvey is the uh, privacy commissioner for uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, and he's not involved uh, directly in that uh, investigation. Uh, that is more of a federal uh, government, fall under federal government uh, laws, but uh, you want to make sure that, um, you know, the things that need to be protected are protected when it comes to those well, technologies and anything else. Yeah, I know that we've always had these conversations before, Linda, but, you know, I, I just keep thinking about how much information we don't know is out there because we just so haphazardly get into these situations where we believe what's happening with these bots. Uh, well, uh, there's haphazard and then there's uh, knowing as well. I mean, uh, how yes. many people regularly um, have information that is posted online or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be and then just to know that there's um, something generating something yes. from that if the right question is asked of it. Uh -huh. um, anyway, it raises a lot of questions. It certainly does. I, I remember him talking to about that uh, Pentagon story as well. I saw that picture and, I'm, and I did a double take. Like, what? Did that happen? Gosh. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the problem is, is that if you have these um, bad actors, as the term is used, <laughs> or evildoers, or, yes. you know, uh, um, you know, it, the possibility, because you know that, you know, people who are using it for all the legitimate reasons are, you know, outnumber the bad ones, but the bad ones are the ones that do all the damage. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there you have it. Uh, so uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, and uh, do have a great evening and supper.